Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Church, I have been ready to be in this place with these people for two weeks, and it's finally here. So thank you guys for being here. Um, as I did mention, a little jokingly, my wife and I and our family did get COVID, as, as Pastor Chris mentioned last week, and so we're good, we're healthy, life is good. So uh, we got to watch last Sunday, you guys just rock it up. So uh, thank you for that. But we're all clear, we're ready to go. Is, is everyone warm in here this morning? Alright, is everyone warm, okay? Because here, here's what I know to be true, alright? I, wa- I walked in this morning, we were having some issues with our heater. We got that going, alright? I was supposed to preach this message two weeks ago, alright? And so Wednesday before this last Sunday, I was like, yes, I cannot wait to preach. God's got a word that he wants to share with people. I'm so excited. Boom! COVID! Sweet! So we're at home, and then we come in here today, and there's no further problems with the heater, and boom! Heater problems. So let me tell you one thing, alright? This is about to be awesome, alright? This is going to be great, alright? Not because of me, not because of the pastor, but because I believe with all in me that God wants to do something awesome with somebody in here, and it's a good day that you're here, alright? And so we are excited for this morning, for making change part three. All right. Some people love change. They love to mix it up. They love new things, fresh things, change. Change is great. Like January is your jam. All right. Like you get, you get your little planner out. You get your goals out. Like change is awesome for some people. Not for me, okay? Not for me. I hate change. Quite frankly, if change never had to happen, I'd be okay with that. Alright? I would be wearing the same shirts I wore in high school if it were not for the beautiful lady in the front row. Alright? Because they still fit for one thing. Alright? They, they, they have some holes in them. They, they've been seasoned. They got some character. Alright? And I, there's, there's no need. If it, if it works, why change it? Alright? There, there, there's some reasons why, and, and my wise, better two-thirds has told me, like, you look like a high schooler when you wear those clothes. Like, you can afford to, you know, look a little more professional. And uh, she thinks I look more attractive when I dress that way, so that's a bonus. When my wife thinks I'm attractive, things go well, all right? For some people, change is not their thing. I'm one of them, all right? In all seriousness, if I didn't have to change a thing about my life the rest of my life, I would be okay with that. I don't like change, but I like growth. I love to grow. I love to get better at something, whether it's something as silly as fantasy football or something as important as becoming a better dad, a better husband, a better believer, whatever it is. I think it's so important that we grow, I believe whether you're a believer in Jesus, a non-believer in Jesus, whether you're tall, whether you're short, whatever it is, we are meant to grow. Not just physically, but emotionally, socially, spiritually. Growth is integral to what we want to do. And I think if we're being honest with ourselves, we want to grow too, right? Like, forget about change for a second. We all want to grow in something, whether it's grow in our company, grow in our ability with something, grow in our relationships, whatever it is, we desire to grow. But sometimes we don't want to go through the change to do it. Have you ever looked up the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing, or, or doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Right? Like, 
We want to grow. Whether it's you want to get more ripped, you want to get more fit, you want to get more physically, whatever it is. We want that, right? We want to see the number on the scale change. We want to see the muscles popping through our shirt. We want to see whatever it is. But when it comes to actually having to go through the different nutrition habits, the different exercise habits, that's not the fun part, right? Like posting your sweet biceps on Instagram, that's the fun part. Eating kale for breakfast, lunch, and dinner is not the fun part. Kale is the worst thing ever. I'm convinced kale is not from the Lord. I'm convinced of that. It's so bad. Kale chips. Whoever's like, hmm, let's make chips out of kale. It's not the same, okay? But sometimes we want healthier relationships with somebody, right? Whether it's we're having some marital issues or whether it's I'm, I'm trying to get better with my estranged sibling who I don't talk to anymore or my parents who, who, who mess me up. I, I wish that we could get better. I wish we could get to the other side of that. But oftentimes to get to that, you have to be willing to go through those tough conversations, those tough things of unforgiveness, those tough realizations of going... Ah, uh, yeah, I, I played a small part in this too, owning our junk, right? That's not the fun part. The fun part is getting to the end and getting to that ultimate growth that you want, but a lot of times to get there, you have to go through some changes. Tough changes. Easy changes, whatever it is. And I've found that a lot of times, in order to do that, you have to get outside your comfort zone. I love my comfort zone, alright? I got a recliner in there. I got lots of snacks. Everybody loves me and thinks I'm great. My comfort zone is sure comfy. But I've learned that a lot of times if I want to get from something good to something great, I have to step out of that comfort zone a little bit. If I want to get to something better, something worthwhile, something substantial, something greater than what I currently have now, I have to be willing to step outside of what is natural, what is comfortable, and what I've been doing for the last whatever time it is. That's not the fun part. But when you get to the other side of that, when you get to the the place of growth, you are a much better person. You're stronger. You're more fulfilled. You have more purpose. You have all these great things that you so desperately want. And a lot of times, it's not because you've arrived. It's because you've went through the process. Right? Like, it's one thing to get to the end of your journey and go, I made it. But what you find is when you go through the process, you find that you pick up a whole lot more than you bargained for. You figure out that just because you have this thing now, that's just, an, that's just the bonus. You now know more, more about yourself, more about your situation, more about God. And if we do this and we get comfortable with being uncomfortable, we'll start to be the best versions of ourselves. We have to get comfortable with change. We have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because the best things in life, the most worthwhile things are the things that we do when we're uncomfortable. We need to get comfortable with that. And there was no better person in my, in, in my belief than uh, Elisha. All right? uh, for those who know me well, you know I have two kids. The oldest one, his name is Ellis. And if you look up the, the ancient origin of Ellis, it's the American version of um, Elisha. And before you think I'm super hyper-spiritual, that's not what we picked. All right? We were watching a movie, and my wife was like, I like that name. And I was like... We're barely married. She's like, I know, but when we have kids one day, I'm like, one day, yeah. One day, that sounds like a good name. 
But it stuck. And we're like, Ellis, that's a sweet name. I love that name. But the, when we decided we were going to name him Ellis, we figured out that his name means Elisha. And it makes the story I'm going to tell you today that much more special to me because it involves change and it involves a really, really cool story. So there's two men in this Bible story I want to tell you. And I always do this. Whenever I explain this story, I think it's so important because their name is virtually the same. It's like Bob and Bobby, but they're different people. Okay, so you have Elijah with a J. Everyone say Elijah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're Scandinavian. We don't like to... I won't make you do that anymore. Because I know you guys are like, I don't want to say anything out loud. But the pastor's asking me to, so I should. Elijah. And then we have Elisha with an S. Okay? Elijah is the experienced guy. Alright? He's the older guy. He's the wise one. He's got, he's got it going on. Alright? He's a prophet of God. Which in the Bible means he just like... God would speak to him and he would speak to the people. There wasn't church in this day and age. There wasn't direct access to God necessarily. So God would speak to the prophets and the prophet would speak to the people. And so Elijah was a beast, all right? He was just a man after God's heart. He was awesome. God cared about him so much that there was a drought. And so there was no food. And so Elijah would go around and talk what God was saying. But to get fed, ravens would literally fly down and bring him food and he would eat the raven food, all right? If a raven comes to your house this afternoon and drops off a little chicken for you, you're probably not eating it, all right? But when you have nothing else going on, it was an act of God. It was awesome. My favorite story about Elijah is, is if you've been to church before, you might have heard it. If not, it's don't, not a big deal, but it's a really, really cool story of there was this showdown of God versus God. And so they had this, this bull on it, and virtually, I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version of it, but Elijah was so close with God and believed in God's power so much that the showdown was, I want, I'm going to call fire down from heaven, it's going to burn it up, and Elijah's like, I'm so confident that my God's legit, I'm going to dump 12 gallons of water on top of this. And it still happens. So you have this man who is awesome. He's loved. He's respected. He's, he's a man of God. But like anything in life, all good things come to an end. He was getting old. He was getting old. And he could sense it. He knew he was near the end of his life. And he knew somebody has to carry the torch. Somebody has to take what, I'm gonna, what I've been doing and go to the next level. And so... It's a really cool story if he gets alone with God and God basically says, Elijah, the person who's going to come after you, his name is Elisha. Go anoint him. Go tell him he's the next one. And I love this story. So here we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. God called Elijah to go and anoint Elisha. And so if you're wondering what the heck this is going on, this is the, the Bible version, the Bible history of 
him being like, dude, you're next. And so he walks up, he's, he's plowing this field, and Elijah takes his cloak and puts it on Elisha's shoulders, which is basically, there was no words exchange, there was nothing crazy, but Elisha knew what was happening. He was basically saying, look, here's my mantle, I'm passing it to you, do you accept? And I think it's so important to understand the historical context of this story because there's a lot to it. You notice that Elisha was in his field plowing with 12 teams of oxen. Alright? This is the Bible. This is, this is like 2,000 plus years ago. Alright? Now, if you see a guy driving a Mercedes or a BMW, he's got a huge mansion, he's got all the bells and whistles, you're probably like, yeah, he's pretty wealthy. Beamers didn't exist in mid or mid zeros and, and beyond. Okay, so if you were a wealthy person, you had livestock, you had animals, you had all the stuff at your disposal. So when you have twelve teams of oxen, you had it going on. All right, you had all kinds of animals at your disposal. You were wealthy. You were well off. You were blessed. And I think that's so important because Elijah comes and basically says to you, to Elisha, I'm calling you. I want you to do what I do. I want you to take over. And Elijah was a man who wandered from town to town, stayed in people's houses, people fed him, and he spoke what God had for him. Elisha had Every single thing he could want. And here comes Elijah, who's in a jacket all up. When we make change, when change happens, there's a few things we have to keep in mind. Whether change has been done to you, and there's been a situation you've been dealt that causes you to change, or whether you elect that change, whatever it is, there are three things we've got to keep in mind. In any change, whether big or small, we have to be able to consider and count the cost. We have to understand what's happening to us. We have to understand and get mentally to the bottom of what our change looks like. Elisha had his life set. His family was wealthy. He had job security. He had inheritance. He could have been on that farm and lived a lush, great life for the rest of his life, and it wouldn't have mattered one iota because he had it made. Elisha had his whole life before him. He was to take over the farm. He was to take over everything. It was, it was all set in stone for him. The ultimate setup. And here comes Elijah and says, I'm calling you. And do you notice Elijah's response? Yeah, let me just go kiss my mom and dad goodbye and I'll be on my way. But Elijah goes, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Think about what I've done to you. He pumped the brakes for him. He said, I want you to actually decide in your mind if you're willing to do this. Are you actually willing to follow me? Are you actually willing to give your all to this? Because change, even the best kind, is going to require something of you. It's going to require a sacrifice of you. It's going to require you to get uncomfortable, right? That alone in itself is a selling point. A lot of us would opt out for just being more comfortable, If I'm being honest, and I'm in Elijah's situation, and I know I've got my whole life set, I can be completely comfortable for the rest of my life, why would I take a risk and go and follow somebody who I very don't know very well, and go and live a life that's not nearly as comfortable? Why would I do that? But I think it's because Elisha understood that 
something greater was ahead. He understood that what was waiting for him by following Elijah was way better than he could ever have with Elisha. Or with, with or just hanging out by himself. But Elijah pumped the brakes. He wanted him to count the cost. He wanted him to understand what it was that was happening. Because that change is going to require something of you. You're going to have to set down your preferences, being right. You're going to have to set down what you've always done. Are you willing to set down your present reality for an unknown future? And that is a tough, tough thing to grapple with. But if you're going to do it, you've got to do it. If you're going to give it your all, you have to be willing and mentally decide that you're going to give it your all. You have to give it your devotion. Verse 21, 1 Kings chapter 19. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elisha as his assistant. There's no turning back for Elisha. There's no going back. He basically said, you know what? I am in. I've counted the costs. I've considered what you've proposed to me. Elijah, you've called me out. You've given me an invitation. And I'm not just going to accept it. I'm going to accept it with some conviction. So he went back. He took all of his plowing equipment. He took all of his animals. And he slaughtered and chopped it all up. Because it was his way of saying, I'm not going back. I am giving this my all. There's no backup plan. There's no safety net. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to go into it full well knowing that I'm going to get see this thing through the completion. We like comfortable. It's natural. Things get tough. Things get skinny. Things make you feel uncomfortable. And when you know you have a, 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 a plush, nice safety net behind you, it's very hard to push through that. Because you know that that's behind you. You know that it's there to catch you if you fall. If things get a little too tough, instead of feeling motivated like there's only one way forward, we fall back. And so Elisha is here. He burns everything. There's no safety net because he committed to it. He counted the cost. He considered the things. But then at the end of the day, he committed to following the plan that God had for him. He gave it his all. You have to be unwavering in your devotion to it. Because it's no surprise that sometimes things do get tough. It's no surprise that it gets uncomfortable. But if we're willing to push through, we get to see something awesome on the other side of it. There are situations that rise up in your marriage that get tough. There are things that happen that are not fun to walk through. But when you stand up, let me fix my mic here. Is that good? That's better. Pastor Chris has a big head. A really big head. Seriously. Like, this thing is like crazy. It's because you got so much knowledge, right, Heather? We'll go with that. that. A lot of it's like dad jokes and puns and bodily functions, but there's a lot up there. But we love them. Marriages. You stand up, you promise you everything to that person, and you, you think to yourself, like, even when things get tough, 
I'll be right there with you, right? And we say that, and it's beautiful, and you cry, and it's awesome. And then when things happen, it's like, what was I thinking sometimes? This is tough! This is hard! She makes me sort my stuff by colors and whites, and I was perfectly content doing it before the way I had. Now I got four loads of laundry instead of one. So much easier! Amen. The men in the room are like, Amen. But when your marriage is anchored on him and it's anchored on the covenant you set before each other, you know what I'm talking about. You're willing to trudge through even the tough stuff because you know being with this person is way too good for any troubles we might go through. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be bruises. If you're setting out to set your own business, if that's your change right now, and you're like, you know what? I'm leaving my current job. I'm leaving where I'm going. And you've counted the cost. You know, I know I'm giving up salary. I know I'm giving up benefits. I know I'm giving up all this stuff, but I know this is what's next for me. Consider the cost, but commit to it. Know there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be things that are tough. But when you have a mission and a vision, and God's calling you to do something, He will not let it fail. He will not let you go through and, and fail. And even if there is failure at the end of it, it serves a purpose. And so give it your all. Give it your everything to your marriage, to your restoration, to living for Christ. My goodness, what if we got comfortable with getting uncomfortable with Jesus? What if we were willing to step out and do the things he was calling us to do in the moment, no matter how hard it was? I know that I know that I know one, our world will look different and two, our happiness, our purpose, our fulfillment, our satisfaction would go through the roof. Because when we do what God calls us to do, He cannot fail. And He has a purpose for what we're doing. So if we count the cost, we need to commit to it and go through it. But trust me when I say this, we can't do all those things without clinging to Christ. This is the difference between a motivational TED Talk and a sermon. Because a motivational TED Talk, that's where it ends. All of your success, all of your fulfillment, all of your satisfaction rides on you, right? Like, you gotta bust your butt. You gotta do this. You gotta do all the heavy lifting. You gotta do all this stuff. And if you don't, then it's on you. I have to disagree a little bit. Just a little bit. Don't get me wrong. I think we need to give it our all and do everything we can, but at the end of the day, it's not our weight to carry. If God's calling us to do something and he's establishing our way and our steps, he's going to see it through. But we have to be willing to cling to him when things are bad, and here's the kicker, when things are good. You ever notice that, right? Like Jesus is the duct tape, right? Like, Jesus, help! Duct tape! Oh, no, this is going to problem! We treat him like duct tape sometimes. Because when things are going tough, it's really easy to cry out to him. But when things are going well, it's kind of like, oh, I'm good now. Clinging to Christ happens on the good days and on the bad days. And here's the best part about it. When we cling to him every day, there might be bumps and bruises and no heat and COVID and all the rest of this stuff. But at the end of the day, we're constant because he is constant. And that is where we truly find our strength. That's where we truly know where we can find everything. Psalm chapter 139 says this, 
David, a man who was well acquainted with God, says this in Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. It's like a mother-in-law that's even more intense. He always knows what you're thinking. He's always there, right? I love you, Mom. If you're watching this, hopefully you're not. (laughs) Sometimes that used to make me feel a little, like, intense, right? Because that means God knows the, the inner secrets of my heart that, like, I'm not super proud of. But I tell my students this a lot. That discomfort of knowing God knows everything about you all the time can feel a little unnerving, right? Until you realize he loves you regardless. He knows the deepest, darkest, nastiest parts of who we are, and he still loves us more than anybody ever could. That means that even if we're in a a situation and a murky, muddy, nasty mess, that he is still there with us. If we're on the mountaintop, ride high, things are going well, he's still with us. He is the true ride or die. And we can cling to him when things are going well, when things are just going whatever, and when things are going completely to crap. And he's there, and he loves us, and he's with us, and he's guiding us. And so no matter what kind of change we go through, whether it's a good one or a tough one, he's there. And I think that is true, the true X factor. If we want to be successful in change, if we want to get through change and do it well, that's the answer. It doesn't ride with what we can do, with what we're capable of doing, our control. It resides with Him. And if we devote and cling to Him in everything, it's going to go well. But we have to consider it, count the cost, and then cling to Him. And that's where change goes from change to growth. Elisha made his decision. He committed to it, to following Elijah as his assistant. In 1 Kings chapter 19, there are three more chapters in 1 Kings. And let me tell you, stuff hit the fan, okay? Stuff hit the fan. Israel is a hot mess at this time. Gosh, Chris, your head. I love you, Chris, but your head. Stuff is not going well. You have king against king. You have complete disunity. You have complete dissension. There is complete stuff happening. It's a mess. And if you're a prophet, if you're a man who who God loves and God's using, you're in the midst of it. You're in just the middle of it all. And so here is Elisha taking this business proposal of come be my assistant. Come walk with God. Come be the prophet. It's going to be great. And the whole country is destroyed. It's completely divided. There's opinions. There is wars. There is stuff going on. I know it has nothing that looks nothing like our current country today. But there was stuff happening in the world. All right? And it wasn't easy. And so for three chapters, we just see these prophets walking around. But here's where it gets really fun. 2 Kings chapter 2. The time Elijah had sensed and known was coming. Elijah knew, I don't have much longer here on this earth. It's time. 
the rookie's going to take it, now is the time. So give him a test. Second Kings chapter 2. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. Gilgal, sorry. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. Translation, it's going to get messy in Bethel. Stay here. It's comfier, it's safer. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. They go down to Bethel. They do whatever they do. The next verse says, Elijah says to Elisha, Hey, you stay here. I'm going to Jericho. You stay here. And Elisha says, As surely as the Lord lives, I will go there with you. And he goes with. And there's three times he says, Stay here. But Elijah says, No, no, no. I'm going with you. I'm with you to the end of this. Verse 8. Elijah folded his cloak together and struck the water with it. The river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. And when they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. That alone could just, we could have a sermon right there. That he hits the water and it splits and off he goes and life is good. But here we are. Elijah's last words to Elisha basically is, if I can do anything for you. This is like the ultimate, like if you had three wishes, what would you wish for? This is like the real version, all right? And three more wishes is not an option. I know some of y'all like that in here. If you, had, if you had three wishes, what would you wish for? 27 more wishes, okay? Nobody likes you when you play that game, all right? <laughs> you get three wishes, part of the rules. We love you though. Jesus loves you, that's what matters. It's true. What can I do for you before I'm taken away? And Elisha replied, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit and become your successor. Other translations say, Can I have a double portion? I studied this a bunch this week, and I could spend a whole sermon on this, but let me just give you the important parts. Some of y'all are ready to go get some wings and nachos and veg out today, all right? I got a thumbs up. A double portion is actually referenced in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 7. A double portion went to the firstborn boy. It was a double portion of the inheritance. So if you had, four, if you had three kids, your inheritance got split four ways. And the firstborn son got two out of the four sections. So if you're the oldest boy in the family, you're blessed, all right? <laughs> Asher in the back is like, yes. More McDoubles for me. And a lot of times when we hear that and we see that, we think it means double, right? We just mean like, okay, if you get double inheritance, Elisha was asking, all right, Elijah, you did all these awesome things. You had all these awesome miracles. You did some really, really cool stuff. I want twice as much of that. That's how I interpret it when I read double portion, right? If Elijah had 14 miracles, then Elisha must get 28. And he actually does. There are 14 recorded miracles in the Bible with Elijah. Elisha had 28, which I thought was interesting. But the Bible scholars say we actually misinterpret this wrong. 
Because he wasn't looking for twice as many miracles. He was looking for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. What does that mean? Elisha understood that Elijah did some really cool miracles. He called down fire from heaven and took up a bowl that was completely soaked in water. He got fed by ravens. He called down fire on somebody who was picking on him. It's a true story. That'd be cool. (laughs) Don't act like you wish you could do the same thing, okay? When that person just calls you out and rips you apart, hey, God, if it's cool, um, just inferno them. That'd be awesome. (laughs) telling you. Fire departments would be busy in this world. (laughs) But he knew that the true power was not in Elijah. It wasn't that Elijah was super special and that he had all these crazy spiritual and, and supernatural gifts in his fingertips. Elisha understood that he was just the vessel. That the power, that the miracles that Elijah did was not because of Elijah. It was because of God's power in Elijah. That was the difference maker. That was the power. That's where all of it came. And Elijah's going, you know what, God? I want double of that. I want double of your spirit. I want double of your love. I want double of you, God. I don't care about the numbers. I don't care about the miracles. I'm looking for a double intimacy, a double love, a double power that you can offer because because of you. That is what I want, God. And what a cool, cool thing to ask for. Because he could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for influence. He could have asked for popularity. But you know what he asked for? A double portion of God's spirit. A double portion of God's spirit. That is the difference maker. When there is change in your life, you need to count the cost and ask yourself, is this worth it? Am I willing to go through this? Am I willing to go through the uncomfortable and everything in between? But when you commit to it, things change. You say, you know what? I'm all in. And when you cling to Christ and you get that double portion, all of a sudden it's not you, it's him. It's him behind you pushing you forward and it's him ahead of you pulling you ahead. Can I just tell you, this isn't theory for my family and I. This story has been real for a long time. Because pastors Chris and Heather and their family are some of the most amazing people I've ever met. Elijah was a beast. He did amazing things. He loved people well. Pastor Chris... And Heather and their family truly love this community with every ounce of their being. They have given their life to planting this church. Can I tell you about taking risks and making changes? Going from having a salary and being on staff at a church where you have all kinds of support to coming out to a cornfield and planting a church. That is the true act of faith. A true leap of faith if I've ever seen one. Chris wants me to plant a church. I told him, you're crazy. Because it's hard. It's scary. It's uncomfortable. But you guys did it. And this community, the bridge church, is what it is because of your obedience and your love and your hard work and your devotion to people. And I got to tell you, when Pastor Chris put the metaphorical cloak on me, 
and said, hey, want to take over? No, sure don't. Absolutely not. I love where I'm at. Because he's a man who does amazing things. He's gifted in communication. He loves well. You guys know in this room, Pastor Chris, and his wonderful bride and his wonderful family. They're amazing. Truly amazing people. So here's my story. Here's my change. Because I may not have had 12 teams of oxen in my backyard. I drive a Ford Fusion, okay? So I don't even have the Beamer part of it. But Chris had felt God calling him to the same thing. What I love about Elijah's story is it was God calling and prompting him to move. Regardless of whether he wanted to or not, it was God saying, you know what? I'm going to take you soon. So get ready and anoint the next person. Chris felt that nudge that God was moving and directing and doing all that stuff. And he thought it was me. And I told him he was dead wrong multiple times. First time he came up to me and said, Derek, I'm, this is what I think that God's doing. And I, and I felt probably what a lot of you guys felt two weeks ago of like, oh my word. Like, but you're you. You're here. Like, you, you, I, I can't imagine doing life without you. I can't imagine being at this church without you. I was like, like I, I was heartbroken and I, and I was like, Confused, I was shocked. I was like, but I'm glad for you. And I had all these emotions that I know some of y'all have been walking through for the last two weeks. I sat across him at a table at a restaurant, and I'm like, man, that's crazy. And he goes, so? And I'm like, nope. Don't ask me. He goes, would you consider it? I said, no. <laughs> no, I won't consider it. I'm not going to. I'm not ready for it. I'm 26 years old. I'm comfortable with where I'm at. I love my youth students almost as much as my kids. They smell the same. <laughs> Some of them have the same maturity. Except, except for Adeline, okay? Adeline, Ad, Adeline's awesome. But there was, he asked me to take over. And I said, no. A month later, he said, I've, I've been thinking, I've been praying. I still think you're right. What do you think? No. A month later, Derek, are you sure? What if we did this? What if we did this? No. Six times, I told him, no. He goes, would you even consider it? I said, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I don't want it. I don't think I'm called to it. I don't think that's what God has for me right now. I don't think I can step away from you students right now. I don't think I can step into this. This is a big deal. You have big shoes to fill. You're really gifted. You're really awesome. God's spirit is on you. You love this community. You're from here. I know that I know that I know that being the lead pastor is not all rainbows and cupcakes, okay? I know it's tough. I know you get slammed. I know you get destroyed. I know you put your heart out there and it gets stomped on. I don't want that right now if I'm being honest with myself. I don't want to change where I'm at. You asking me to come here in the first place was a big deal for me and I'm just barely now like getting comfortable in it again. 
So will you consider it? No, I won't. Because I know I can't do it. Has anyone else ever been there? Anybody? Maybe now being a lead pastor of a church, have you ever been in that spot where you know I'm not cut out for this? I don't think I can do this. Here's where it gets crazy. And here's what I've been so excited to tell you guys about because let me tell you something. What? There are insane shoes to fill, but I can also tell you there is an insane God who's doing some insane things up the pipeline right now. Elisha knew it was not his gifts that was going to be used. He knew it was God's spirit. And that's where I know God's leading this church right now. And here's where it gets really fun and really exciting. Chris sat down with two different pastors after I gave him no my sixth time. He said, Let me, I'm going to tell you this right now, Derek, one last time. I'm putting, putting my, my cards out there. He goes, I think and I know you'd be my first choice. You know the people, you know the community. I think you're cut out for it. I really do. Even though you don't think you are, I think you are. Because it's not about you, bro, is what he said. Can you see him saying that? It's not about you, bro. It's not about you. It's about him. I was like, why'd you have to get theological with me, man? (laughs) It's not about you, bro. I was like, I know. So you're not going to do it? I just don't think it's right right now. I, I haven't felt that nudge. All right. Well, just know I'm going to go talk to two guys and hear the names of the guys I'm going to talk to. And, you know, if you ever change your mind, just let me know, all right? All right, man. Sounds good. So I got to thinking after that conversation. And I did something for the first time that I have not done in the last six times. I said, all right, Lord, this is what I feel. This is what I think but I'm open. Whatever you want, Lord, whatever you think, you can have. It wasn't anything super spiritual like God came out of the clouds and said, you should do it, okay? I walked away going like, feeling pretty pretty confident where we are. This is what we're supposed to do. But over the next few days, I started to just think, what if? What if we did this? What could it look like? What could we do? What, 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 what could happen? What happens if we don't? And we started to pray and we started to think. Chris met with his pastors. And all of a sudden, as, as in the course of a few days, my wife and I started to feel like, you know what? There's a, there's a possibility. It used to be like 0%. Now we're like at 2%. All right? But Chris... The next week says, Derek, I got to get lunch with you. I'm like, all right, sounds good. We're going to meet on a Tuesday. On Sunday, I talked to my dad. I talked to my wife. I talked to some of the most important people in my life. And I said, here's what I'm asking for. Pray with me and think. But I'm at that 2%. Pray and let me know what you think. Monday came around. We were at like 8%, 9%. All right? Tuesday morning comes. And I had this idea of like, what if we did it? What if we took a massive leap of faith? Was that about 40%? Not even, let's be honest. It's probably 25%. Pastor Chris meets with me, talking about church stuff, and I was like, how'd it go? He goes, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, okay. 
because I talked to two different pastors apart from each other, asked them, gave them the invitation, asked them to pray about it. They both came back to me and said, we can't take it because Derek's supposed to. It's like, that's interesting. Because here's what's happening, Pastor Chris. I'm starting to feel like maybe this is something we could potentially do. It might be something. I don't feel like I'm there yet, but my heart's kind of changing. My heart's kind of shifting. I don't like this change. It feels so daunting and so crazy. But maybe this is what's supposed to happen. So I had this in the back of my head. And so we go to our summer camp. And we're there. And I walk into service on the third night. And I'd been doing some things at camp. I was helping run in the game, so I kind of missed worship. But I went into the message at the end. All the kids go forward, and, and they're worshiping, and they're responding. And I'll never forget, I was standing on the front row. And I'm sitting there, just, just spending time with the Lord. Just sitting there, just thinking, processing. And I open my eyes, and I see three of our students. Three students that were completely brand new to our youth ministry four and a half years ago. Super into themselves. Super intrinsic. Weren't super comfortable. And I open my eyes, and all three of them are just sold out, going after God. Going after it. Getting after Him. And I sat there and I opened my eyes and the tears started to come down. I felt like God was saying, Derek, if you stay, this is what gets to happen. Seeds and things that have been happening start to come into bloom. They get to blossom. And if you're just take a leap of faith, if you're just obedient, we're going to do some really cool things. And I'm like, that's really cool, God. Thank you. And then it gets really crazy. I'm sitting there experiencing this. I no sooner open my eyes and I'm seeing this and feeling God saying this and all of a sudden I get a tap on my shoulder from a good friend of mine. He's more of an acquaintance, more of another youth pastor in another town that I talk to every once in a while but we're not great friends. He doesn't know what's going on in my life. He doesn't know where I'm at. But he says, Derek, can I pray for you? Sure, I would love that. He said, I'm praying for a prayer of refreshment. I'm praying that you would know how, how loved you are. But I'm praying that you would be courageous and bold because you are called to be exactly where you are right now. This man doesn't know me. He doesn't know what Pastor Chris is thinking about leaving. He doesn't know anything that's happening, but he knows that God's speaking to him, that he's supposed to say that you are called to be exactly where you're meant to be talk about waterworks at this point i'm just like a mess my god you've read my mail once again you talk about like not hiding from him he knows he knows and so i walk away i give him a hug and i walk back i got tears just running and at lake geneva where we go to our camp there's one little balcony students can't get up there leaders never go up there it's all by itself And as I'm walking that way, I was like, I just need to process and just think about this. There's so much going on. As as I'm walking to the back, I'm saying, God, I, I feel like you're leading us this way. I feel like you're leading us to say yes and take on this insane position. But God, I'm not going to do it unless my family and my wife is okay. Because I know that is my highest calling. I know that is my most important thing. And so I'm not going to do this, God. Even though it's great, even though it's awesome, I am not going to do this, God, unless you can take care of our family. 
And so I get away to this random place. Nobody is there. I walk up there. I take a seat. And within 20 seconds, another youth pastor friend of mine follows me up there and goes, I, I'm supposed to pray for you right now. And I'm like, okay, let's bring it on. <laughs> Dear Lord, I just, I pray for Derek and his family. I pray for Meg and his kids that they would know how loved they are, how special they are. And I just pray that they would step in whatever they're supposed to do with courage and boldness that he's going to do it well. He doesn't know anything about what's happening, but he does. And God told him to tell me that was what was going to happen. So in the same spot that I really made my life with Christ and when I was this camper in the same spot when I was 17 years old when I said, God, you can have everything. You can, whatever you want to do, you can have it in that same spot as the same spot where God said to me, Derek, you're supposed to do this. Are you kidding me? So I'm just going to leave this with you. I am elated and excited to be stepping into this position. Not because I think that I have it going on and I can do it well, but because I know he's calling me this way. And I have a screensaver on my phone of the story of Gideon. If you're familiar with the story of Gideon, there was a massive war happening and God said, Gideon, I'm calling you to stop the war to defeat the Midianites. And Gideon says, God, I'm too small. I'm the weakest man of the weakest tribe. I can't do it. He picked the wrong man. But he said, my spirit will go with you and you will defeat the Midianites. God is doing something in this church and he is priming the pump for something new. I'm not calling for a double portion, for double the seats, double the building, double the miracles. I'm not calling for that. But I believe we as a church need to ask God for a double portion, a double portion of his spirit because he's doing things. He wants to see marriages restored. He wants to see students' faith come alive. He wants to see breakthrough from addiction, breakthrough from things in this community. He wants to see people in this church, people that aren't even in this church right now that are going to step foot in these doors in a week, in two weeks, in a year, two years, whatever it is, God has their number and he's calling me and he's calling us as a church to be the ones who are going to be his vessels. To be the ones who are saying, yes God, we will go, we will do. And I know a lot of y'all love Pastor Chris. I love that man with my whole heart. And I am so sad to see him go, and it's going to be a heart wrencher. And I know some of y'all, it's tough to put your faith in a 27-year-old who's saying yes, who you've lived a whole bunch more life than I have. But here's my invitation and my challenge to you. It's not about the 27-year-old. It's about him. Because he's moving, he's shaking, he's aligning. And I don't know why he picked me, but I'm going to consider the costs and I'm going to commit to it and you best believe I'm clinging to him with everything that I am. Our lives are going to change, y'all. I told our team this 
today that I have been thinking and dreaming and strategizing and planning and God has told me you're dreaming too small. So there are really, really, really cool things happening. But I'm going to need you not to support me if necessarily, but to go after God with me. Because when that happens, this church is going to explode. Not in numbers, in growth. Growth. There's going to be change. It's going to get bumpy. But if we commit to it and cling to him, we're going to see it through. And it's going to be awesome. Will you pray with me this morning? God, this has never been about us. It's never been about this church. It's never been about the pastors. God, it's been about you. And Jesus, I know that you have some really, really cool things in store. Jesus, you have growth. You have breakthrough. You have restoration. You have redemption. God, you are going to do some really, really, really cool things in the lives of us personally, in the lives of this community, in the lives of this state. God, you're going to do things in this world because of what you're doing right here in this building and beyond. And so, Jesus, I pray, God, for that double portion. God, I pray for that double portion of your spirit, God, that we would feel closer to you. You would be more evident. God, we would be more aware of who you are and what you're doing. We ask for that double portion, Jesus, because we just want you. We want you in our lives. We want you in our triumphs. We want you in our trials and everything in between. Jesus, we are excited for what you're doing. We just ask that you would be the focal point. You would be the center. You would be the thing that holds everything together and we can't hold it together ourselves. You are the one. We give you this church. We give you our lives. We give you our deepest struggles and our biggest victories. We love you, Lord. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Men. You guys are amazing. I'm excited. The best is yet to come. And I firmly believe that with all my heart. So have a good week. If you have any questions, I'm available. I'm COVID free. I'm happy to, to hang out with you. And if you ever want to go grab lunch with me, I would love, love to do that. All right? I'm working on my dad bod right now. So we're trying to get there. All right? Love y'all. Have a good Sunday. This has been a podcast of the Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.